Welcome to Running with Mushrooms. I'm on a mushroom tour to explore the industry and culture of mushrooms around the world. I'm Jess Jorgensen, a cultural researcher and strategist. I recently visited Nairobi in Kenya to start to explore the culture of mushrooms in East Africa before heading out to various parts of Uganda and further afield in Kenya. In this episode, I'm exploring the complexity of the aid industry in East Africa and how growing mushrooms can help to build resilience and lead to positive social impact. I often talk about how mycelium leads me from one conversation to the next, and my guest today was no exception. Samantha Coches and I met while I was visiting the team from Mushrooms Kenya at their lab, farm and incubation space in a leafy part of Karen in Nairobi. It was here that I learned of Samantha's NGO called Nourish All and the fantastic work that they're doing with permaculture and mushroom training in East Africa. I'll leave Samantha to explain what brought her to that particular mushroom farm, but I literally pounced on the chance to chat with her and I'm so pleased to welcome her into the Running With Mushrooms tour. Originally from the States and now living between Hawaii and East Africa, Samantha holds an MBA from Columbia Business School in New York and a BA in economics from Vanderbilt University. She then went on to travel, living in various countries such as Thailand, and learning firsthand the art and skill of permaculture, gardening, and now growing mushrooms, which is why we're chatting today. Samantha then worked in the realm of conservation consultancy and ultimately is the founder of Nourish All. Today we're in Nairobi before Samantha heads to Kandui, which is in the Bungoma County of Western Kenya, to facilitate a food forest permaculture and nutrition training boot camp. Samantha, thank you so much for coming to chat with me today. So great to meet you. Would you like to share a little bit more about yourself, nourish all, you know, who you are and what you do? Thanks, Jess. Yes, I am the founder of Nourish All. That's my most recent title. And Nourish All is a nonprofit that's focused on food security and livelihoods for vulnerable communities. My journey has been one through various career paths and countries like you graciously shared. My background was in business. I studied business, got my MBA, worked at a consulting company in the U.S. called Bain & Company, and always knew, though, that I wanted to work in something that had a positive social impact. So I actually did all of that in order to apply the traditional business skills and business world to create a better world around us. And as you shared, I took about a year off after my consulting gig and traveled around the world, studied at different permaculture places, and actually settled in Southeast Asia first and was working in agribusiness with a consulting company there and doing some freelance work as well. Of course, when COVID hit, that changed everything for everyone. Um, And that's what brought me back to the U.S. and ultimately to Hawaii, which I'm calling my base. But our work is predominantly uh, across East Africa. And the goal across all of this, my whole, you know, thread of story and career is really, like I said, to use business for good. And we're doing that with a focus on food and food-based livelihoods. Amazing. Thank you. So you're talking about food and food-based livelihoods for good. Could you share a little bit more about the actual work that Nourishol is doing within the East African region? And I think your values and and mission was something that really resonated with me as well and I, I wanted to discuss. Absolutely. We base ourselves on three values. They're actually permaculture ethics. It's called earth care, people care, and fair share. And what those mean are really having a positive relationship with our earth, centering earth and nature rather than the human experience. People care is about making sure that we have positive interactions with each other, social connections, but also taking care of people and their lives, particularly those who are in a position where they are not thriving. 
And I believe that really everyone deserves a chance to have a, a thriving and joyful life. And there's millions, perhaps billions uh, of people who unfortunately don't have that opportunity. So that's a big driver behind my personal passions and work and then what we're channeling into Nourish All. And the last value of fair share is an interesting one. It's a bit related to people care, but it's more about how do we balance and create a more equitable world? And like I said, there's, you know, people see this now. There are parts of our community and our society that have so much excess, and there's parts that are just absolutely without. And so trying to find a little bit more balance and just so that we can share the wealth and create a, a happy and joyful living situation for every human being. And we embody those values through several different initiatives. Our work is focused on primarily three areas. So oyster mushroom growing, which is our biggest passion, vegetable gardening, and school gardens. We also have some side initiatives that we are growing into, which is fruit tree planting, as well as food dehydration, so post-harvest processing. And our work, like, like we shared, is primarily in Kenya and Uganda. The communities that we serve and that we partner with are refugee communities, women's groups, and youth, predominantly in rural areas. You mentioned those sort of three core areas of gardening, oyster mushrooms, vegetable gardens, and school gardens. Are you doing all three of those with all three of those groups of people, the refugees, women's groups, as well as youth? It is a bit of a mix and match. Uh, it's kind of like fitting the puzzle pieces together. I suppose, yes, all three with all three. Even in refugee communities, we are working and, and supporting schools. And that's something that we'll continue to do because they're such a critical source of community. So, yes. Incredible. The other day when we were chatting, we were discussing this incredible ecosystem that seems to exist between Nourish All, the partner organizations that you work with locally, as well as, as you say, the schools and communities that you're partnering with. And there seems to be this interconnected ecosystem that's going on. And I think for the sake of, because we sadly don't have too many hours today to discuss all of the amazing work that you do in all of its complexity, if that's all right, let, let's sort of shift the focus onto your mushroom work in particular. Of course, within the context of growing vegetable gardens and school gardens as well. But I'd love to hear a bit more about how that ecosystem sort of works and fits together, if it's possible to even describe that decentralized network in all of its complexity. If you could just paint a picture of what's going on and how you're all working together. Sure. Yes, happy to focus on mushrooms, as is the topic of the hour across the world, I think. Nourish all, I see our position in the East Africa network as almost a, a connector amongst this mycelial threads. So I do think that the mycology and the mushroom ecosystem is, is very much decentralized, but there's an amazing number of connections and interconnectedness amongst it. I mean, even how we met, right? I was visiting uh, Mushroom Kenya for training for myself and Nourish All to uh, expand our knowledge in different varieties of mushrooms. And then, of course, we, we bump into each other and, and find we have all these different connections and shared passions. So I do think that mycelium threads run throughout the world and then in East Africa, that's also there. In our work as Nourishal with our partners, I'd say that is a similar setup. So we believe very much in partnership and localization. And by that, I mean supporting with skills and capacity building and resources local organizations who are in the community, serving their community, you know, made up of people in the community, because obviously I am, 
you know, not living in refugee settlements full time. I'm not next to the schools full time. So to have really strong partnerships and champions who are leading the work. And I see Nourishal as an enabler and really like a conduit of knowledge and and skills and resources to empower those local community-based organizations. Wonderful. Thank you. I'd love to discuss a couple of your projects that you are working on with these organizations. And I know you've got lots going on, which is really fantastic. Could you share a little bit more detail, perhaps about one of the initiatives that you're working on? Tell us a little bit more about that project, how it how it got started, what's going on there. I would love to share about a project that we've just wrapped up recently. Well, wrapped up our very first first and second chapters of what will be a long story with a refugee-led organization called Hodari Foundation. Uh, Hodari Foundation is located in Chakatu Refugee Settlement, which is in the southwestern part of Uganda. It has about 125,000 refugees and growing, unfortunately. They are predominantly Congolese, about 90% come from DRC. And the work that we were doing with Hodari is to support, as I said, their mission and their commitment to their community to uplift the most vulnerable. So orphans, single mothers, those chronically ill, caretakers of chronically ill. And the project that we have done with them is a pretty comprehensive mushroom growing project. So we had three parts, really. We provided a technical greenspawn training for Hodari Foundation themselves and a startup lab for them. And this was to address their most pressing challenge, which is access to clean and inexpensive greenspawn. And that is actually a challenge, by the way, that I have heard consistently through our partnerships. And so it's something that Nourishal has now become more specialized in and a part of our core offering. The second part that we did is a training and seed capital for two community groups to establish growing. And what that looks like actually is an intensive two-week training and setup of production house, all of the fixed materials and fixed inputs, mushroom substrates, green spawn. And this group is, one group is about 20 single women. Another group is predominantly women. There's some men that we let in and they each will be able to now produce about 600 kg with this first seed capital of oyster mushrooms. And so that will be used for home nutrition, um, but also to generate income. And exciting, we also have a third group that we'll be sponsoring next month as well. The third part that we did with Hodari Foundation is something that's really fun called the Banana Leaf Tech. And it's something I learned in in Hawaii. Thank you to Dave Polymer of Harvest Garden Hawaii and Tropical Fungi Academy. It's a very, very easy way to grow mushrooms and happy to elaborate more on what it is. But we also did a practical training and actually sent people home with buckets that they could then grow mushrooms out of. So those were the core elements. There were some supplementing pieces that I found very, very cool. Um, We had somebody join us from one of our partners in Kenya. It's called Nuru International or Nuru Kenya is their country office. They support cooperatives in the southern part of Kenya, and they're very excited and interested in expanding into mushrooms. So somebody named George came from Kenya to join us for the training, and he's now brought that knowledge back to Kenya. So we're really, like I said, these mycelial threads, they are there and they're growing and strengthening. And then a last part that I'm excited to share soon is we produced a long-form tutorial video about this mushroom growing process with the community. And what's really awesome is it was the sound bites were recorded by a refugee-led recording studio in the settlement, and it was also edited and compiled by an editor and videographer who's a refugee in the settlement as well. 
So very much supporting, you know, and building local capacity. That was the project. If we have a moment, we'd love to share a bit more also about Hodari because there's just such an amazing organization. Thank you for sharing. These are such such great stories. And one of my questions for you was going to be around the community because ultimately, as you said, the role of Nourishol is a conduit as an enabler. And the partners I feel that you're working with are so incredibly important. As a side note, I'm hoping to meet some of these incredible partners that you're working with on a trip to Uganda in the next month or so. We're going to be inviting all of these partners to join Running With Mushrooms and to have very in-depth conversations about what they're doing and all the incredible work that they're doing locally, how their work is impacting their own communities, what that community involvement is. But I think that word community is so important here. The idea that these are people living in settlements far from home and really sort of working together as a community to build something like this, to have a more sustainable food source and protein source, as well as income source. Could you tell me, perhaps uh, let's go with the Hodari Foundation project that you'd like to tell us more about. Could you talk more about the involvement of the community, the structures that have been built, how everyone is playing their part from the design and, and set up through to the actual selling and the passing on of training to, to other members of the community? So it is a multi-partner initiative as most of our projects are. And in this context, um, Hodari Foundation is certainly the center of it. They are a refugee-led, community-based organization. What that means, because we can fall into the, the buzzwords and the acronyms, it's an RLO-CBO, but it was started by a young refugee. His name is Janvier Hafasha. His native country is Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. And he has been in Uganda for about 10 years. And unfortunately, that is not uncommon for refugees. The average stay, I believe, is actually a decade. But many people have actually been out of their home country for even up to 30, 40 years. So he is really the, the center of Hodari Foundation. He is an incredible leader and really believes in empowering others, which he's demonstrated through his team. So he's included in his team and built this incredible team of people within Chaka 2 Refugee Settlement and notably people from different tribes across Congo. So like I said, Chaka 2 is about 95% Congolese refugees. But I won't get too much into the conflict, and I'm also not an expert on it, but the root of it is um, tribal and ethnic differences. And so to have an attention for that in a refugee settlement, to include people from different tribes, I think is just such a powerful statement against the conflict that has driven them out of their country. He has also included on his core team somebody from the host community, as we say, so a native Ugandan, which when we talk about integration and, you know, the power of mushrooms and what they can bring, bringing people together like that, it's just incredible. So Hodari Foundation is responsible for really the training. So Nora Shaw supports with materials. We also assist during the training, but Hodari is the lead trainer for the community groups. They organize and receive applications from groups who are interested in receiving mushroom training, which by the way, we have a long a list and a stack of papers on Jean-Vier's desk. They also have the centralized drying as well. So when we talk about the products and the outcomes of this mushroom training and production, the groups and Hodari are selling fresh mushrooms. They're also selling dried and we have ambitions for other value added products. These solar dryers, they require no power. Um, Nourishal actually secured donations from a company called Jua Technologies, which is based in the U.S. and also has an office in Nairobi. So again, we're bringing people together from all over the world, and we're, we're really, really grateful for that partnership. And there's much more to come with Jua Technologies and dried mushroom value chain in general. 
But so that's one of the partners who's involved. And the community, of course, is responsible for building the mushroom shed, as I call it. It's a grow house. It's a mud hut. They collect all the materials. They source the water. As we're doing the training, they oversee the process. You know, one element is steaming the substrate for many hours. So they tend the firewood and this is like a seven hour process. So they're very, very committed. And then they're responsible, of course, when the mushrooms start growing for harvesting them and selling them. Hodari Foundation throughout all of this is there as, you know, a mentor. They don't just train the group and disappear. They visit, they send me updates, and they're really, really involved in building that community trust and the sustainability of this whole mushroom uh, initiative. Amazing, amazing, amazing. There's so much wonderful stuff going on in there that I'd love to probe further on. But before I do, just firstly to say how wonderful to hear about projects like this that are working towards integration of a community of people that have been not only segregated from their homes, but segregated amongst themselves as a nation. So that's, that's just wonderful to hear the work that Jean Vier and his team are doing. Could you tell me a little bit more about that value chain? You, you mentioned briefly that, you know, mushrooms are being sold fresh as well as dried. Who are the customers? Are these mushrooms remaining within the refugee settlement? Are they spreading outside? Tell me a little bit more about how that value chain works and how this is sort of becoming a solid source of income for this community. As of now, there's two primary end products, I would say. So the fresh oyster mushrooms and then dried shredded mushrooms. They are being absorbed, sold in the local market almost entirely, which I find both incredible and also not surprising at all. I mean, this is, like I said, 125,000 people. These are only two community groups. I Failed to mention earlier that Hodari Foundation also, of course, has its own growing and um, a demonstration site. So they're also growing and selling in the community and leading the way on what that looks like. Hodari Foundation, the community groups, they get calls from anyone and everyone right when they know that there's uh, mushrooms that have that have just been harvested. A funny story is this group was transporting 13 kgs that they they harvested just in that morning to Hodari's office to use the solar dehydrators to dry and preserve the mushrooms. This is about a 15-minute drive. On the way, they got calls and they sold 10 kg of the 13 kg that they were preparing to dry. So word spreads, it gets out very quickly. And so people will in the community will both come to where those growing houses are, or they'll call, you know, come to the office and will purchase the fresh or the dried. Another funny and amazing anecdote is somebody from UNHCR, which is the UN's High Commission for Refugees. They are the governing body or oversight body for refugees across the world. They picked interest in in mushroom growing as well. We had in the two weeks that Nourishal was was in Chaka 2, we had, I think, three or four just impromptu stop-bys by UNHCR to see what was going on, but also, hey, can I buy some of those mushrooms? So like I said, everyone and anyone is, is coming to buy. There are, though, big ambitions to, big and achievable, I will say, ambitions to create other products, so dried mushroom powders, mushroom porridge, which essentially is like a, a mushroom powder, but supplemented with things like soy flour or cassava flour. And the purpose of this is to add to a porridge for children. Maize is a big part of the diet in East Africa, and it is not necessarily, you know, the most nutritious to eat every day. And the vision is to have mushroom porridge be included in in school diets and recommended through health clinics as well for young children, babies, and mothers. We also have products Jean Vier has seen and knows how to make, and we're we're working on getting the resources and, and capital to be able to do that, is mushroom wine, 
and also something called mushroom jelly, which I thought sounded horribly disgusting at first, but it's not edible. It's a skin. It's like a dermato dermatological product. You, you put it on your skin. <laughs> so that's where we're heading. And another, you know, market that we're looking at is, of course, outside the refugee settlement. Like you said, there is a town nearby that has a heavy tourist population because there's a national forest there. And Kampala is only four hours away. So those are actually very accessible markets, particularly for these value-added dried products. And Janvier and I gave our first sample to a hotel in Kampala just before I left. So, you know, we're, we're already on our way. <laughs> So cool to hear and very much looking forward to tasting mushroom wine. I have tried mushroom beer. I've seen quite a few UK companies, for example, starting to create chaga lager and all sorts, but mushroom wine sounds great. <laughs> I wish you all the best with that. That's very, very exciting. And this mushroom jelly. So before I ask about what mushrooms make the jelly for the skincare regime, just to confirm, we're only growing oyster mushrooms. Is that right? Yes. So right now we're growing oyster mushrooms. The reason for that is I'm sure many mycologists and mushroom fanatics tuning in will know is they are aggressive. So in a refugee settlement where there is high rates of contamination due to, you know, less than ideal sanitation, it's also quite dusty at times. So oyster mushrooms are great for that because they are strong and they're also quick to fruit. So they're the best to fight against that. So is the mushroom jelly for the skin going to be made with those oysters as well? Apparently, I have not tried it yet. So Jean Vier is the brain behind this. He learned, I believe, actually, in it might have been Changwali refugee settlement, because like I said, there's a lot of, you know, mycelial threads. So I believe he learned from somebody doing it there. And we also have one of our partners, Ramwanja Rural Foundation, who has created some of these porridge and uh, powders. And I think he's also done mushroom wine in Ramwanja Refugee Settlement. So there's lots to learn and exchange between refugee growers. And that's actually going to happen. I'll put a plug in here for African Mush Mushroom Festival in October. We are bringing together a coalition of these refugee growers to be able to display their products in a wider audience and then also learn from each other. I'm glad you threw that plug in there. I think Mushroom Fest in October, hosted by the likes of Mike Tyson and Josephine Nagakande and the Eco Agric group in Uganda, I think is going to be super, super cool. I'm hoping to attend in person. And I think I'm going to encourage every microphile I know who isn't able to attend in person to hop online, join online. I was having a look at the way that the festival is structured. There's a wonderful ticketing system where you can choose to buy a ticket based on your own financial means. And there's a variety of options there, which I think is great. The other thing I thought was particularly great was that internationally, if you are only able to join online, there are options to sponsor a local to join the festival in person. Those people attending are going to be part of workshops and training and education and talks and learning to grow mushrooms and networking with mushroom people. It just looks super, super great. So yeah, big plug for the mushroom festival that's coming up. I think oyster mushrooms. So back to the oysters. I think it's really great that, as you say, they're an aggressive species. They eat so many different things. And as mycophiles are known for sharing all of the different substrates that oysters love to grow on from books to, you know, old clothing and whatever. <laughs> and from my short time chatting with people in Kenya, I was really pleasantly surprised at how much integration oyster mushrooms have with people's diets how much people are used to cooking with them. They're very popular mushroom alongside your button and chestnut mushrooms in, in the supermarkets. You will usually find oysters and there are loads of small scale through to larger scale oyster mushroom growers in Kenya. Do oyster mushrooms have a, a similar kind of status, if I can call it that, in, in Uganda? 
It's a great question. And it's also very important when we think about international development, as we use that as a broad term. But when we think about uplifting communities, this is going to be a side tangent from mushrooms. But uh, I have to say, you know, many times NGOs or, you know, big organizations will come in with an intervention. They think, ah, this is great. And it's been developed in an office, as Jess, I think you're familiar with, you've experienced this as well in your work, in an office thousands of miles away from where the community actually will receive that. And it's just so important to have community centered at everything. And in this case, mushrooms very much are part of the culture in Uganda, at least in southwestern Uganda. I can't speak to the north. Um, I know in Kenya, you know, northern Kenya is very different climate and mushrooms are not as a part of the diet because they don't grow. You can't forage in semi-arid areas. So, you know, it does depend, but in southwestern Uganda and where we're working, people are familiar with mushrooms and they do like them. Mushroom soup is on nearly like every guest house or restaurant menu. People forage for not oysters, of course, but these little white mushrooms, I'm, I don't know the name, in the forest during the rainy season. So it's a very easy piece to adopt into diets and oyster mushrooms are delicious. So yes, people are eating them and they get excited too that they're available because it is a higher, higher value, high nutrition food and particularly in a refugee settlement where they were past tense relying on cash and food assistance from WF World Food Program by way of rice and, and beans and grain, which by the way has disappeared as of July 1st. So interventions like building local food supply and having that be nutritious and culturally appropriate are very important. Samantha, the other day you were telling me about another project with the Rwanda Rural Foundation, also in Uganda. Could you share a little bit more about that work? I know it might be quite similar to your work with the Hodari Foundation. But yeah, let, let's discuss the work of Bimariki and the, and the Rwanda Rural Foundation. Absolutely. So Rwanda Rural Foundation is another RLO, CBO, refugee-led community-based organization, supporting refugee communities in Ramwanja settlement. So it's actually quite close to Chakatu settlement. They're about two hours by motorbike apart. And there it's slightly smaller. I believe there's about 70,000 refugees, but also predominantly, you know, over 90% from DRC. And Bemariki has a similar, but of course, every story is different to Jean Vier. He is natively from DRC, has been in Uganda for 17 years, and he leads Ramonjo Rural Foundation. Um, so they do a variety of programs. He's a permaculturist. He does permaculture trainings, which we've also worked with Bemariki and RRF on, and is championing oyster mushrooms. So they grow at their own, you know, headquarters of Ramwanda Rural Foundation and also support various community groups. When uh, Nourishal went to visit them for the first time last year, yeah, over a year ago is when we first met him. Bemariki is actually the person responsible for introducing me to oyster mushrooms and getting me excited and inspiring and challenging me to learn more because they have certain issues that they that they wanted to address to improve their production. So the story actually is when I went to visit Ramwanja Rural Foundation in Bemariki for the first time in, in May or June of, of 2022. I went for a permaculture project to support vegetable gardening, saw they were doing oyster mushrooms, said, what is going on here? learned very quickly that grain spawn was their biggest challenge, as I mentioned, as it is with Hodari. And that inspired me to actually go back to the U.S. and learn as much as possible about grain spawn so that I could bring the knowledge that is actually needed. And so that's what we've done. Our, our project with Ramonjo Rural Foundation was to provide a grain spawn training for Bemriki and his team. We also did a community training and seed capital for a community group. So similar structure, right, to how we worked with Hodari. And then what's a, a fun, unique 
thing that we did with Raimondo Rural Foundation is uh, more focused on the business side. So we created a logo and a stamp to represent the Remwanja mushroom growers. And they are now selling under that brand. And they, like I said, have many value added products. So that was the the core of our work. And we've also done crowdfunding for Remwanja Rural Foundation. We raised last year over $5,000 and directed that for unrestricted use to their work. And this actually is completely additional to all of the resources and the time that we invested in the trainings. So um, it's really been a great partnership and it's been a journey over the past year. I love that story about you coming from a permaculture background, Bemariki also having a focus on permaculture, but loving mushrooms. And I, I think you mentioned to me the other day that you learned about mushrooms and, and left Uganda as a mushroom convert. And um, I, lo- I love that. And it's testament again to the power of mushrooms and how they impact people's lives. That was just over a year ago. And oyster mushrooms have now become a third, could I say, pillar in, in what Nourishall does. And I think that's really, really, really cool. You've discussed briefly, you know, that mushrooms are great for this type of initiative, particularly in refugee settlements where, as you mentioned, there is high risk of contamination. You are looking for a food source that is aggressive and has a quick fruiting time, is growing quickly. But are there other reasons why mushrooms are a particularly good food source in in this context? Absolutely. In addition to the components you mentioned, because those are important, space and land is a very important piece of this. So in a refugee settlement, um, at least in Uganda, new arrivals, as they call it. So when you're coming from your native country, you receive a very small plot of land and you do not own that land. And so to have a source of food that you can grow more mobile, shall we say, rather than planting things in the ground. That is an important consideration. They require little space too, right? It's not just the in inland part. Um, they require little space. You can hang the bags vertically, you can grow tall, um, and you really get a lot from a little space. Nutrition is the second piece as well. So I mentioned before, you know, diet and and food diversity in a settlement can be difficult, even frankly, just the resources to buy food. It's hard to imagine, but refugees often come with literally nothing but the clothes on their back. And they receive in a settlement a tarp. It's either six or eight poles, I can't remember, to erect that. And they get some kg of rice and a saucepan, a bowl, and a cup. So that's not going to last for long. And, and many people come from agricultural backgrounds. So to have a source of nutritious food is very, very important, particularly for women. About 80% of refugees in these settlements are women and children. And mushrooms are very, very good, especially for expecting mothers. We had a story where there was a woman who just gave birth and she wasn't able to breastfeed. And she started taking, you know, she purchased mushrooms from Hodari Foundation and she started taking them every day. And she was able to breastfeed, I think, literally in three days. So this is really, mushrooms can be life-changing. Like in some cases, this is really critical need. So yeah, little space, nutrition, and also the third one is climate conscious. So using waste materials, using sugarcane bagasse, bean husk, rice husk that are often burned or just discarded. So creating waste to value chain is a really powerful part that more environmentalists should be paying attention to and supporting, you know, mushrooms. 100% agree. I love that there are all these incredible, already prolifically available sources of substrates that are already so much a part of food culture and agribusiness and agriculture in East Africa. You mentioned the other day and earlier on the banana leaf tech. I love that oyster mushrooms love banana leaves. And so tell me more about that substrate. Is that banana leaf and bagasse mixed or just banana leaf? It is pure banana leaf. 
it is the most incredible. I have now taught this in the past two months to I think six different partners. And every time it gets the same reaction, oh my gosh, is this for real? (laughs) It is an amazing innovation. And so I learned this in Hawaii, Hawaii, um, from, like I said, Dave, Tropical Fungi Academy. And I'm just so grateful because it's so fun to share it across the world. You literally soak dried banana leaves in water and kitchen ash. So wood ash, it's very accessible here because a lot of people cook with firewood. If you don't have that, you can use lime. Then you soak it overnight, drain it. You take a bucket or a jar, you know, there's lots of different receptacles, but one that has some sort of opening or you can poke holes. You layer the banana leaves with grain spawn. That's it. Incubate it when it starts, you know, it's ready for fruiting, when it becomes all white and and colonized. Spray it with water to encourage the fruits. And that's it. It's it's amazing. So much fun. I mean, as a fairly average grower of a handful of species of mushrooms at home, including oysters, that is so exciting to be able to go out, grab some banana leaves from the tree because they're just everywhere and grow mushrooms. How much fun. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And just so everybody who's not been to Uganda knows, bananas are a big staple in Uganda. It's called matoke. So they are literally everywhere. So when you think about, you know, the easiest entry point for mushrooms, we want to see a mushroom bucket in every single home in a refugee settlement. And it's completely doable. It's so viable and what and such a sustainable source of substrate as well that doesn't need to travel from anywhere. Those matokes, by the way, are, as far as I remember, not a sweet banana. Banana is almost a bit of a misleading term, isn't it? Because they're a savory vegetable more so than a fruit. <laughs> but yeah, a staple, a staple diet in, in, in Western Uganda, particularly around the Mbarara region and lots available. There's so much fantastic work going on here that Narashol is doing with Hodari, the Ramwanja Rural Foundation. One more very quick project. Would you mind telling me a little bit about your work with EcoAgric Uganda? I believe you've done some training recently with Josephine and her teams. So let's talk about that very briefly. And then I think we'll start wrapping up with some of the impact of these projects, some challenges that you've faced and some solutions to those challenges. So yeah, let's talk eco-agric. Eco-agric, I think many people tuning in will be familiar with Josephine Nakakande. She is a bubbly, joyful personality, mycologist, overall wonderful woman. She is the leader of this organization that supports rural women, vulnerable children, rural farmers. And through both vegetable gardening, permaculture, and mushroom growing, I learned about Josephine actually through the mycelial network, of course. Um, I read about her, I believe, on Mike Tyson's blog. My dear mentor, Summer of Spontal Dusk, had told me about her. And then Alex Dore, also Mushroom Revival podcast. So when I was in, you know, in the U.S. preparing for my work with the refugee settlements, I said, okay, I'd like to meet other mushroom growers. So we connected and Nurishal went for a visit just last month. We spent almost two weeks there. And similarly to other organizations, her main challenge was grain spawn. So getting reliable and good quality grain spawn. So Nurishal did a technical training and startup lab for EcoAgric, and that includes things like pouring agar, making spore prints, tissue culture. We did liquid culture as well and provided all sorts of materials and autoclave, syringes, gloves, agar powder. It, it was really like their you know, startup rudimentary lab. We also sponsored another community group. This was all women, older women, actually, in a more rural area. And we did a training in seed capital to extend production with them. They had already done actually a first 
a first round of production. And then the third part we did our banana leaf tech, as I'm calling it, with EcoAgrid, but then also a school that EcoAgrid has started. So we did this with a bunch of students there. And it was wonderful. And we got to see their new mushroom growing facility, which they're building out. And that will be the host site for the African Mushroom Festival. I am very excited for the impact that all of this mushroom training, this seed capital, and the work that Nourish All has been doing with the likes of EcoAgric, the Ramwanja Rural Foundation, and Hodari Foundation. Very, very cool stuff. And I think as we've been talking, you've been touching on the impact that these types of projects have socially, for example, the impact that Hodari's work is having on not only the refugee communities coming in from DRC, but also on the host communities. You know, you mentioned earlier there is involvement of Native Ugandan, and I wanted to find out if if you could share some more insight around that. You know, is there some social impact here on host communities, and how does that impact the nature of the relationship between these refugee communities and their hosts? Absolutely. I think mushrooms really can be that connector. I mean, there's many ways to connect, but um, mushrooms really, they bring so much joy, right? And delicious food. So how can you, how can you say no to integrating and, and working together in that? What's amazing and, and is happening and will actually many people will get to witness in October is Josephine and EcoAgric is a Ugandan organization. They are Ugandan. They they live in the host community. They're actually not very close to a refugee settlement. So they don't have that, you know, immediate interaction with refugees. However, you know, this coalition of refugee growers will be coming to her land and to EcoAgric site. And she's very excited to have them and exchange knowledge and, you know, see particularly around the value added products, see what opportunities there are for her and for EcoAgric. And likewise for Hodari and Ramanja Royal Foundation and other partners we're bringing. Um, of course, they'll learn a lot from EcoAgric and how they're growing and what they're doing. And then in the immediate host communities, there's ambition and, and a vision and a hope for creating community groups that are actually a mix of refugees and host community. And so that eventually there's that closer tie. But if I'm honest, it's not happening right now, but I do think that it can and um, it would be a great initiative to bring about that social connection and, and social impact. That's really, really, really great to hear. It leads me to think about, you know, this whole idea of the refugee as an identity. You know, this is a particularly tough topic to um, to discuss. And coming from Europe and engaging with international communities, and please forgive me if this feels a bit unfair, but I feel that there is a perception of refugee as an identity. And I feel that that can become quite dehumanizing. It can lead to international stakeholders or companies or organizations not taking refugees seriously. It can lead to people ignoring the incredibly important plight of people who have been displaced from their homes. I would hope that initiatives such as what we're seeing here in East Africa can help people to reframe the refugee into an individual as an asset with skills and so much to bring to their communities and to the world and to shift that perception of the refugee as an identity to remind people that, you know, refugeeism is a status, not an identity and that these are incredibly important people that we need to be heroing and working with and valuing. And I'm very grateful to Nourish All, to you, for sharing these stories. So hopefully we can start to play a small part in changing perceptions around these incredible people. I love what you said about we need to be heroing them because we really need to be and we need to be amplifying their voices and their stories, but in a positive way. I think we hear about refugee crisis and of course it's extremely important to understand the reason behind why they're forced to leave their home countries, what they face as they journey 
as a as a refugee status, but that is not the full story. Like that is not where the the sentence stops, right? Refugees bring value. They have value. They have worth. They have incredible courage and resilience and perseverance. And they also have, they're, they're humans, right? Like they have challenges in life just like the rest of us, but their life is harder. And there's so many people that I've met through our work who just are the most joyful and incredible leaders I've learned so much actually from from Jean Vier in delegation, empowerment, diversity, running a business. So I've learned mushrooms from Bemariki, right? Like my story, Nourish All's story, a lot of it is rooted in my experience with refugees. So I have a lot to thank for them. And um, I would love to see them, like you said, as an as an asset, not an identity because they absolutely are assets. Wonderful. Samantha, let's talk about the future of Nourish All Mushrooms and East Africa. Where do you see yourself in 2024 and beyond? And beyond Nourish All as well, what would you like to see happen in the future of the NGO community and how they interact with agribusiness, permaculture and mushrooms in East Africa in the future? Well, we have big ambitions. Our greatest vision right now is establishing a mushroom cooperative across Southwest settlements in Uganda. And it's happening. This is not a pipe dream. This is happening. And so over the course of, you know, the next year, two years, we'll see increasing knowledge and supply that is grown by refugees across the settlements in Southwest Uganda, five in particular. And that actually, that covers about 500,000 refugees. Of course, we won't be serving all of them individually, but that is a third of all the refugees in Uganda. So this can be a really, really powerful initiative and impact a lot of lives. Nurshaw would would love and is actively building with these community-based partners, this association of refugee growers creating refugee-made products that would be for sale across the settlements, outside of the settlements, and more importantly, this would establish a nutritious, sustainable source of food within the settlements as well. So again, business for good, there's, of course, generating income is important, but food security as well. This is a huge portion of it. So that's one ambition for Nurshal's future. Um, another one, actually, we're shifting to Kenya. Um, we'll be visiting Kakuma Camp later this month. I'm uncertain if mushrooms are going to be a good intervention there because of the weather. But in other parts of Kenya, we are working with partners to establish cooperatives, diversify their foods that they're working with, and create what's called a decentralized drying. And this is part of an initiative called Pomoja Initiative with our partner Jua Technologies. So it will be to create dried mushroom micro enterprises to support people across Kenya as well. And then a third one would be urban growing. We have partner that we're exploring in Nairobi, actually, to support uh, refugees who are settled in Nairobi. So that's from Nourish All. Just on the mushroom side, we've got some other ambitions as well. On the NGO and broader arena, what I really genuinely hope to see is a shift in how we collectively think about development and particularly in the refugee context. For decades, there's been a reliance on aid, on handouts, and there just needs to be a shift. There needs to be a shift to true resilience building and community-driven interventions. So I think that permaculture, and as part of that, you know, oyster mushroom growing is a specific program that could be supported and frankly funded by some of these bigger agencies, because a lot of what they've been doing has not built resilience, not built self-reliance and sustainability. So I would love to see a shift towards that. And then also just towards a more environmentally friendly way of growing our food, mushrooms included. 
but a shift away from conventional methods to more creative people-based and earth-based methods. And I think a lot of the work that you are doing will certainly allow or start paving roadmaps for how to create environmentally friendly food chains. For example, the urban growing community-based or driven initiatives, a lot of the time I assume would mean that the mushrooms are being grown and sold and eaten within a very small geographical area. As well as getting substrate locally, I think it's fantastic because it can become a self-sustaining ecosystem of waste reduction through to food growth, etc. And also minimizing any carbon cost or financial cost of distribution. Uh, so your whole value chain is remaining within that circular system of food. And I think that is something that can certainly build resilience. I really hope that that sentiment gets out there. I think it's incredibly important to shift from aid to resilience building. I think that's such an important point. So, Samantha, the last topic area that I'd love to pick your brain on before we wrap up today is just what it's like to do the work that you do. It's incredibly inspiring. Personally, I, you know, I've got my hand up to come volunteer and work with you. <laughs> take, take me. <laughs> Please do. And I know many others who, who would like to. I think a bigger part of Running With Mushrooms and the research that I'm doing is looking at the pros and cons and what do people need to know about the space if they would like to get involved. I think the opportunity in mushrooms, ecologically, socially, environmentally, etc., is so important. And organizations such as yours are so important for helping that grow. And the impact that it's going to have is incredible. The more we can attract great talent to the space, the better. It's such a great space. And I'd love to now hand over to you to share any insights into what is it actually like doing this work day to day? Also, what is it like doing this type of NGO work in East Africa with mushrooms? Please come run with us. It's all run with mushrooms. <laughs> um, it is a complex and dynamic answer, I suppose. As with anything, there's there's many pros and cons. On the whole, it is exciting. This work is exciting. Growing mushrooms, being in, in the mycology field is exciting. As Nurshal and, and me personally, it's extremely fulfilling. I just feel, frankly, really proud of the work that we do and that we are dedicated to improving the lives of others, but in the right and good way. And that's not to say that we do it right every time, right? There's lessons along the way, and that's part of the benefit as well as you're constantly learning, adapting, requires a lot of flexibility, fluidity, creativity, but on the whole, it is so fulfilling. And the connections as well, I think the people connections that we've made along the way really make the difference. The work is incredible. And then the people and organizations that we are lucky enough to work with make all the difference. I will say, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's tiresome and overwhelming. These are big issues and challenges that Nourishal is working on. I think a lot of people feel these days, the climate crisis, the world is burning, we don't have time left, there's conflict everywhere. Yes, like there is, there's a lot of problems happening, there's a lot of stuff going on. So it can feel quite overwhelming that there's just such an enormity of crisis. It's very uncomfortable as well at times to be in these spaces, trying to make sure that we're navigating in a respectful way, supportive way, that we're bringing valuable skills and knowledge and not just bringing stuff. And so it's, a, it's kind of a constant assessment and reassessment, but on the whole, very fulfilling and fun. So if anyone's interested, which you should be by now, uh, please join us because there's so much work to be done. 
And there's so many exciting and fun ways to be involved. And you asked, how can this space attract talent? We need it, like Nourish All needs it, but the whole, this whole arena of mycology and community development and permaculture, we need people who are passionate. And I think there's a lot of people who care deeply and want to see a positive change, but aren't quite sure where they fit in or what to do. I know I was that way several decades, probably two decades ago just really didn't know where to start. I listened to a, a short interview from one of my absolute heroes just last night, Jacqueline Navagrat. She started Acumen, which is a slow investment into social entrepreneurs in developing countries. And she had really good advice. She said, if you don't know where to start, just take a baby step, any baby step, just make a step. And I think we've heard that advice in lots of different ways from different people. But in this sense, I would say, just take a step, like, come with what you have, whether that's mycology knowledge or skills in storytelling. What you're doing, Jess, is so important for elevating stories and connecting people. Content creation, website development, grant writing, accounting, strategy, like even writing emails is helpful. Um, Volunteering your time, donating money, donating materials, making connections. There's literally like hundreds of ways. So just take a step and come join us. It is a very tantalizing offer. And I totally agree, Samantha. If anyone isn't interested by now, then I don't know what, but <laughs> there's lots of opportunity here. It's so much fun as well, just engaging, not only with mushroom people, but with people in East Africa. I love it here. It's just such a wonderful place with wonderful people. And, you know, the entire time that we've been talking, I've just been getting goosebumps thinking about how not just important, but how cool this work is. And thank you for sharing that. Um, and thank you for sharing the vulnerability as well. That it's incredibly fulfilling, but also challenging in some ways. But I think nothing that is so important will ever come without its challenges. And I think those challenges will help us really make the most of this work and really understand it properly in all of its complexity, which is really important stuff. Where can people find Nourish All? How do they reach out to you if they'd like to be involved? And are there different ways to be involved if you live somewhere else in the world or if you live in Kenya or in Uganda? Yes, there are many ways to be involved. I was kind of being playful when I said there's hundreds of ways, but truly there's so many ways. So Nourishal has a lot of need actually for support and that can be in person, it can be financial, it can be skill-based. So if you would like to be involved, please do. Um, you can reach us at nourishall.org. And our Instagram is nourishall.org. My personal Instagram as well is samantha.coaches. And I share um, stories on there as well. If you have skills, particularly around content, we have many stories that have yet to be told. I'm very grateful to you, Jess for getting these stories out there. And I'd love to be able to share more virtually. We also have, frankly, a need for funding. We have many groups that are waiting for support and lots of ambitions as I shared. And those don't come without need of financial or other resources. So um, if you like grant writing, if you like fundraising, that's also a very helpful skill that we are looking for. So you can reach out to us at our website and also learn more about what we're doing there. Thank you so much. I will include links to your website, your personal and the Nourish All Instagram accounts in the show notes and wherever I publish this content. And let's hope that we get some bites, <laughs> um, which would be great. <laughs> You know, what I might do as well is include links to the Mushroom Festival in Uganda, because I think an event like that is also going to raise the global profile of what's going on with mushrooms in East Africa. So I'll include some links to Mushroom Festival. I think it's called Mushroom Rising. Yes, Mushroom Rising. Rise with us virtually or in person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. 
Samantha, I'm subjecting all of my interviewees to this cringe-worthy question at the end of our interviews. But you can't be engaging in the world of mycology or mushrooms without encountering some kind of metaphor or just play on words or just a fun way to engage with mushrooms as it relates to how we live. And I wanted to know if there are any mushroom metaphors that resonate with you. So hopefully this answers the question. I don't know if it's exactly a metaphor, but I feel like these mycelial threads are real. And they're not just happening underground, but they're happening, or maybe they are happening underground and they're magnetically pulling us towards one another in some weird mushroom way. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. But I really feel that mycelium has led the way for me for our work and has made so many inroads and and just bizarre connections that you could not make up even art like I mentioned ours you just couldn't write that into a story people I've met in Hawaii people I've met in Europe in East Africa it's like there's this interconnectedness that is unbreakable so I think we all are just one big mycelial network. And when you jump on to the mycology train, then you get pushed, (laughs) you get pushed around and connected in, in that world. Yeah, there's no stopping it. It's a force to be reckoned with. So thank you. I think that does count as a metaphor. And it's one of the most exciting things about engaging with mushrooms is just becoming part of that mycelial network. Well, Samantha, thank you so, so, so much for coming to chat with me today. It's been lovely to engage with you personally in Nairobi. And I wish you so much luck and success for the work that you've got coming up this month, the training that you're doing in Western Kenya, as well as all of the work and your ambitions for 2024. I think that Nourish All has lots to offer. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you again in Uganda in October and getting the guys from Ramwanja from Hodari, from EcoAgric onto this project, as well as whoever else we might be connected with next. I think there's such a wonderful and complex story to be told about the incredible impact that mushrooms are having in East Africa with children, with women, with refugees, and it's just super, super cool. I'm so excited to share more stories like this. So thank you so much for your time and we'll chat soon. Thank you so much, Jess. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm so excited to read and tune into all the running with mushroom stories myself. So thank you very much for allowing us to be a part of it and and also for amplifying voices of refugees and other community leaders who are doing this very important work. This episode includes a blog post on runningwithmushrooms.com with some analysis of what we learned together today, including any big themes, concepts, or tensions that have come up, and how these ideas build on what the research is uncovering as the tour continues. You'll find links to that in the show notes, as well as info on how to reach out and support the podcast. I hope that you're inspired to geek out about mushrooms with me And thank you so much for joining the Mushroom Tour.